Good morning, church. What a great morning of worship this morning. What a powerful name it is. And now, what a powerful word he is as we look into this passage. Just got three verses to share with you this morning. Coming from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and we're reading verse 29 to 31. So it's Ephesians 4, 29 to 31. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for sharing with us. Is this your bookmark, sir? Is this yours? It's very nice. Should have a look. It's very nice. It's got Saved by Grace on the back. It's really cool. Well, good morning, one and all. It's great to be gathered with you this morning, and we're continuing our series in Exodus. And at the moment, we are actually covering uh, the Ten Commandments. And uh, this morning, uh, we are up to, uh, well, going backwards, we're up to the Third Commandment. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. That's the base of what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I'm not sure what you think about when we approach that command, when we read that command in amongst everything that we, or the other commands that go before and after it, but it's one of those commands where, you know, most people possibly think, as long as I don't say things like, oh my God, or text OMG, then we've got this covered. It's okay, there's no problems, we're not actually taking the Lord's vein if we steer well away from those types of things. I find it interesting that if that's what it was all about, if that's all that God meant, why would he slot it in amongst things like don't commit idolatry, keep the Sabbath holy, don't disrespect your parents, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. You know, so for me personally, just thinking about where it is placed in the midst of these commandments, I think if we were honest with ourselves and we're also honest with God and asked Him to reveal the truth of His Word to us, we'd realize that there's much more being said here than just don't use OMG. Subtle hint there, don't use OMG, even if you interpret it as, oh my goodness, because people read it, oh my God, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. Don't do it. Won't go there again, okay? But if this is just about slips of the tongue, if this is just about saying things like that, I think we've missed the point. And I think this command is one that we do have a tendency to let slide because we don't think it's as serious as the ones that are around it. But this command, so much like so much of the Old and New Testament teaching is pointing to a deeper issue that goes to the condition of our hearts and our relationship before God. What if this command is one that lays down the Lord about what comes out of our mouth, what is reflected in how we live, what, how we live reflects what is in our hearts? And what if this command is speaking about not only what comes out of our mouths, but our very lives before God, as we are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God? 
As adopted sons and daughters, we take his name upon ourselves. Are our lives reflecting a name that says, in Jesus' name? Are we reflecting that heavenly Father who has adopted us? Let's just pause and pray. Father God, wow, thank you for the worship this morning. It was so good to be caught up and just honouring and glorifying your name in song. And Lord, now we, we just want to listen to you. We want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. So please reveal the truth of your word to us. And Lord, let us be receptive. Let us not close our hearts. Let us not close our minds to you. Let us not harden our hearts. Let us listen to you, I pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So of course, the passage we're talking about is Exodus 27. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And I return to what I said earlier. I wonder what we think when we read this commandment. And I can't possibly know what you guys are thinking. I can't possibly know how you interpret this. But realistically, when we think of God and his name, then we should be thinking about who he is. And first and foremost, when we think about God, we should be thinking about how holy our God is. I wonder if we grasp that. I wonder if we understand. Think back to when this is written. Think back particularly to Moses in chapter 3 and 4 of Exodus where the burning bush is there and he approaches the bush and God says, remove your sandals, this is holy ground. And then God spends chapters 3 and 4 revealing to Moses who he is. He says, I am the God of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And I am the God who will bring your, our people out of Israel, out of Egypt. I will call them to be my people. He is the God who is their saviour. This is the God who is above all gods. The name above all names. This is the God who said, I am. I always have been. I always will be. There is no one like me. He is a holy God. That's the God we're talking about when we say our God. When we speak about our God, we should remember that he is holy and we should treat his name with the utmost respect. We should hold it in the highest regard. And you know, to a large degree, the Jews got that. But again, as we heard from Pastor Darrell with some of their practices where it just became legalistic, very much that was their way. You know, the Jews would not even say his name. The name that we interpret as Yahweh, they would not say that name. It was too holy for them. They would not utter it. And so they defaulted to Hashem, which basically means the name. When they were referring to God, they would say Hashem, which is the name. They wouldn't say God's name. And that was their way of ensuring that they didn't take the Lord's name in vain. But it does show great respect for his name if they say, it's too holy for me to utter it. It's too much for me to say. And in many ways, there's a call for us to treat God's name the same way. And of course, the command is still applicable from Exodus. But think about the Lord's Prayer. When we say, there you go, I've missed a slide. Always happens, doesn't it? When we say, hallowed be your name, what is it that we're referring to? What is it that we're actually saying? And again, the Lord's Prayer is one of those things that's been repeated with, through churches and it's really lost its meaning in a lot of ways. But when we say, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, your name is holy on my lips. Your name is going to be held in such regard. I will say that name like no other name I say. 
It's a name that is safe on our lips. We'll never say that name in a way that drags it through the mud. And when we say that name, it should be said with incredible reverence. It should be said with incredible awe of who God is. And it should be a name that stirs our deepest emotions and draws from us praise and worship like no other name. When we say, hallowed be your name, that's what we're saying. We want your name to be treated like that, Father. We want people to worship you for who you are. And as far as it depends on me, I'm going to keep your name like that, Lord. I'm going to honour your name. And this command seems to be about God. It's not. It's about us. It's not about protecting God's name. It's about providing us direction and guidance and how we should live lives that honour and glorify God. It's about how we interact with this incredible being who has called us his sons and daughters. And there's this great quote by a guy called John Durham. This is the quote. And it, it, it encapsulates everything that is being said, really. The third commandment is directed not towards Yahweh's protection, but towards Israel's. Yahweh's name must be honoured, blessed, praised, celebrated, invoked, pronounced, and so shared. To treat Yahweh's name with disrespect is to treat his gift lightly, speaking about salvation first and foremost to Israel, but also to us. To undermine his power, to scorn his presence, and to misrepresent to the family of humankind his very nature as the one who always is. The one who always is, is exactly what God says. I am the one who always was, the one who always will be. And here he encapsulates the general principle of the command. Because God is holy, then his name and those who take his name should never use God's name flippantly or disrespectfully. They should never dishonor God's name by saying something false about God or that misrepresents him. They, would never, they should never call a work of God a work of evil. They should never call something that God has obviously done other than that being a work of God. They should never claim a work of God as being a work of their own. And they should never misrepresent his word, the Bible. And contained in this is a call to action. What we should do is honour, bless, praise, celebrate, look for inspiration, declare or share his name to others. And those who do this being obedient to God. They're the ones who are not taking the Lord's name in vain. And when we think about the Jews, they zealously safeguarded against taking the Lord's name by simply not saying it. And their desire was not to break this commandment. But this is also about our lives. It's not just about what we say. So not taking the Lord's name also involves honouring God. And this may seem like a bit of a cliche, and for those of you who know me, you know how much I hate cliches, especially Christian cliches. I think they're the worst. So what we're talking about here is the response we should have towards God because of what He has done for us. Honouring Him is about holding who He is in such high regard 
that we're willing to submit all of our desires, all of our will, in order to be obedient to Him. Honouring God is to sacrifice all of my ambitions, all of my desires, all I've ever wanted to be, in order to serve Him. And Luke 6, 44 and 45 tells us, each tree is known by its fruit. A fig isn't gathered from a thorn bush. Grapes aren't picked from brambles. And the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil stored in his heart, produces evil. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If what is said does not reflect God, it's not following what this teaches. This is God's word. It's bad fruit. And bad fruit does not come from a good tree. It's a reflection of the heart. It's a reflection of who you really are. It's a heart with another agenda. What is said, how we say it, reflects the truth of who we are. And our words and actions will either reveal a commitment and devotion to God or will re reveal that we have a very serious spiritual problem. And as I've said, I don't believe this is a coincidence that this command follows uh, some very serious commands. And the first command was, love the Lord your God heart whole wholeheartedly. And the second command is, have no other idols before me. And if we're struggling with this command, then there's something wrong with those first two. God hasn't got the rightful place in our lives that he should have. And we've got some serious work to do. We talk about that spiritual problem. That's the spiritual problem. Something else is enthroned in our lives other than God. And we need to dethrone that. We need to repent. Repent's not a word we like using. Repent is the confession of the things we do wrong. We need to repent to be put back into right relationship with God. Something has taken God's place. We think more of it than we think of God. We think more of who we are than we think of who God is. Consider what is said in James 3. This is talking about taming the tongue. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce fruit, figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's the same story. And I love James. He just tells things the way it is. He doesn't pull any punches. And he's saying that if we follow Jesus, if we call him Lord and Savior, then our speech will reflect that. How we talk to others will actually reflect that. It's another way of saying what comes about our mouth reflects the true attitude of our hearts. And James is saying it simply is not possible to have a relationship with Jesus and continue to have a mouth that does not honour him and do what he says. And James is saying it. Again, this is God's word, it's not me. He says that a spring doesn't produce salt and fresh water, a fig tree does not bear olives, a grapevine does not produce freaks, and a Christ follower does not produce bad language that tears down, divides and destroys. It's simply impossible. It's impossible for a committed follower of Christ to not reflect him. 
But as mentioned before, taking the Lord's name mean, in vain means more than that. Especially when we're aware that we're followers of Jesus. And we are adopted sons and daughters. And there's many passages of Scripture that talk about our relationship with God. And when we confess Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and live in obedience to Him, then God is our Father. And we, His sons and daughters. 2 Corinthians 6.18 tells us exactly that. And in, then there's this passage from Romans which says much the same thing. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And when we consider this relationship with God, Scripture is very, very clear that we have been adopted by God. And I find it absolutely incredible that God would actually do that, that he would even want me with him. And more than that, he says that I am his son, that I am on an equal standing with Jesus. Can you believe that? We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And it astounds me. But this is what I'm called to. He calls me his son. And my relationship with him has nothing to do with what I've done. It has nothing to do with who I am. It's everything to do with Jesus and what Jesus has done. He calls me his son. He saw me at my worst and loved me. And more than that, he accepted me, making me a joint heir with Jesus. How, how do we respond to that? It's beyond our ability to comprehend. But as an adopted son, I've got this new name. I've got this new life. My identity is no longer in this earth and all those things that I pursued. My identity is in Christ. That's what we're called to do in Scripture. And because of all He has done for me, I no, want to, I no longer want to live for myself. I want to live for Him. I want to be obedient to Him. I want to be following Him. I want to grow more and more like Him each and every day. As we see in James, that testing, that refining, the silver dross comes off the top and we get refined more and more until when Christ looks upon that, He sees a perfect reflection of Himself. That's where He wants us when we stand in His presence and his glory he wants us perfect are we excited about that yeah amen i think this is awesome this is what god wants for us but we've got to go through this life we've got to go through these struggles and you know what i don't, I don't want to bring shame to god i don't want to do those things that tar his name I want to put to death that old self each and every day. He's called me as his son. He's called you as his sons or daughters. We're all his children. And he says, you know what? That's pretty awesome, but there's something else. I, I want you to be my ambassadors. I want you to be my representatives. I want you to do my work on this earth. That's why you're still here. You're going to go home with me one day. But you're still here because you're my ambassadors with my full endorsement. And this is what he calls us to do. So many people call them Christians, but they don't live this out. They don't believe this is a call for them. 
The last thing that Jesus said to us before he was taking up is recorded in Matthew. It says, go into all the world, make disciples of all men, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all my commands. He didn't say, pastors, this is your job. He didn't say, evangelists, this is your job. He didn't say, this is unique to certain individuals. He said, this is the call for my people who would follow me. And I know there's some people who are particularly gifted evangelists. And praise God for those people. You know, if I was a gifted evangelist, some of you would be falling in the aisles, repenting. I've seen evangelists like that. They're incredible people. And I'll tell you what, some of them are the most boring people to listen to. But they have this anointing on their word. And when they speak, people come to faith. Praise God for people like that. But the call and commission is for each one of us. And we're going to stumble through how to do that. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do that. And, you know, we may never lead someone to Christ. No one leads anyone to Christ. Please get over that. We are called to proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. That is not taking the Lord's name in vain. That is honoring the Lord's name. And the thing is, you may never see the fruit of what you do. That's not your role. We're here to sow the seed. You know the parable of how many farmers we got here? Wow. Oh, we do? Tell me, when you were sowing seed... How much seed did you throw on rocky ground? Farmer. Oh, no, no. Well, fathers are good too. But, and mind you, fathers can be farmers and farmers can be fathers. Do we have any farmers? We, we don't have any farmers in our church. Yeah? So how much seed did you throw on rocky ground? Plenty of seed, but not always big results. But you never threw it on rocky ground, eh? You didn't walk out to the road and throw it on the road, did you? So when Jesus is giving this parable of the sower and the farmer, and he says seed fell on the rocky ground and seed fell amongst the weeds, farmers are going, this is nuts. Like, why would you waste seed like that? But Jesus is saying the storehouses, the warehouses are mine. I've got the seed. Don't worry about where you stand. Don't prejudge whether that's good ground or not. Just throw the seed. I'm the one that brings the harvest. I'm the one that brings the growth. You were just called to sow the seed. So don't prejudge. And if we're out there faithfully sowing the seed, wherever it falls, it's God who brings the return. It might be a return that's years down the track. Some of you would know um, Tim and Mel Downs, yeah? Yep. So Tim and Mel Downs, uh, they serve in Malawi now. They used to be in my youth group in Rockhampton. I knew them before they were married. I can't believe Tim ended up being a missionary. But Tim's got this incredible story because Tim was a chippy. And, and he was a guy who always proclaimed his faith. And he told all his workers about Jesus and only a few years ago, Tim was back on furlough. Uh, when I was at Birkdale, that happened to be the sending church, and he was always come back to us. And he was there. He came back very briefly at one stage because of health reasons. And his mate, who used to be a chippy friend of his, phoned him from Cairns and said, Tim, are you in Brisbane? He said, yeah. He said, I'm coming down tomorrow. I need to see you. This is 10 years later. This guy flew from Cairns to Brisbane, met Tim. He said, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. Can you believe that? That's God. Do you think Tim was the one that brought that growth? No. Tim planted a seed in very hard ground. And God brought the growth. God brought other people along. There was little things that were said at different times that grew that seed. And this man got to a point where he knew, realized he needed Jesus. And wow, I'm so far off my notes, I don't know how to get back to them. <laughs> it's not only the commission. It's how we live. 
I spoke before about the prayer where we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And not only are we saying, your name is safe on my lips, but we're saying, Lord, I'm going to live my life for you. Everything I do is going to be in Jesus' name. My wife will be able to tell you I've got this incredible frustration with drivers. These people are driving around in a ton and a ton and a half of metal. They don't realise it's a lethal weapon if they don't handle it well. And I've seen so many accidents, fatalities even, because people don't think about what they're doing. They drive me nuts. But if I'm yelling and screaming at a driver, I can't say, in Jesus' name. That's something I've got to get over. Pray for me. Pray for Pastor Darrell. He's got the same sin. He's shared that many times. <laughs> oh, you, you've been healed. Oh, praise God. Whew. Okay, so praise God for Pastor Darrell's healing. And Rhonda, just you and me, Darrell can't hear this. Is he healed? Yep. <laughs> but, you know, we've all got things that are very difficult for us to overcome. And we need to ask God to help us in the midst of that. And we should be determined to each and every day be a little bit better. Think about your work situation, how you treat your colleagues. Think about the books you read. Think about the movies you watch. Think about the addictions you have. Think about that pornography you watch which no one else knows about, apparently. None of these things, none of them, can you say, I do so in Jesus' name. Not taking the Lord's name in vain is about living all of our lives for Him. Obeying all of His commands, not just the ones that are convenient, not just the ones we're comfortable with, not just the ones that suit our purposes. Our lives should be lives that bring honour and glory to Him. Think about 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. When we read that passage of Scripture, we think about the defence we have to give. We don't think about the fact that the reason why we have to give a defence is apparently these people saw something in us that reflected the hope that we have in Christ. So the life is lived as such that people go, wow, this person has a hope which I don't understand, which I don't un comprehend. Why do you have that hope? All we think about is the fact, oh my gosh, God wants me to have a defence for my faith. But the life is lived so people see him. The life is lived so people respond to that. And so that ties my last point and this point together. Living correctly before God starts with the right attitude in the heart. And when we have that right attitude, we understand God's will as his ambassadors, as his sons and daughters, and we will do what he calls us to do. In this passage, it says that we will have a defense. We will know what God's word says about our future. And we will have a faith and trust and confidence that that is true. And we will know that we're going to stand in God's presence in his glory and we're going to be for him forever. And our lives will be lived in such a way for Christ that people will see that hope. And that hope 
is stronger than anything else that they've seen before. It draws them to God. It makes us the salt and light that God has called us to be. And you know what? In those deepest, deepest, darkest moments when you think there is no hope, that hope is what brings tears to your eyes. That hope is what lifts you from those struggles. When we think about our future with God and His promises in glory, it just stirs our hearts afresh. It calls us back to Him. And I know as well as you that this life's not easy. I think if the Christian life was an easy life, everyone would do it. I mess up just like you mess up. I don't get it right all the time. But the God I worship is a God who loves me dearly. He calls me his son. He must love me. No one else would do that. He loves you in the same way. His call is for us to return to him, to repent when we mess up. Some of you are sitting here now, totally shut off to what I've said, some of you are sitting here saying, that's me. I know I haven't got this right. I know I've messed up. God's calling you back to him. That's not something to be embarrassed about. That's something to celebrate. That's something to honor him over. And he will forgive you. He will restore you. And he wants us to succeed in this life for him. He wants us to be grown in faith. He wants to see us go on in power in his name. There's a few of you who've gotten to know me through um, our interaction here at church, but there's a lot of you who don't know me much at all. It's just the way it is. We, we've got heaps of people that come to this church. We can't know each other personally. So let me tell you a little bit about what drives me. I want to see people grow in Christ. That's it. Nothing else. And that's why Elena and I are committed to discipling and mentoring people. We want the basics of Christianity in people's lives so that they will be praying and studying God's Word, not for a week, not for a month, not for six months, but for their entire life. That's what we're working towards. That's what we want to see. And of course, we can't do it. People have to want to do that. But we're more than willing to provide them the tools that will help them to achieve that. Those that I mentor and disciple and who attend my Bible study, I challenge them. Every time we meet, I ask them the hard questions about the sin in their life, about their purity, about how they're living. And to their credit, they repent when there's something wrong. And we've got this honest relationship because I believe that's what God wants. I believe God wants us to share with each other and grow in our faith. And it's just so encouraging for us to see these people powering on for Jesus. And as, as they've committed more and more of their lives to Christ, we see that they under the power of Holy Spirit, are now speaking to people they've never spoken to before. They've got this boldness they've never had before. There's two young men that are speaking to homeless people on the streets. They've never done that before. There's people coming to faith in this church because of these young men and women. That's what, that's what really drives me. I want to grow and encourage people that will care for the lost. I want to grow and encourage people who pray for those lost people and that will take every step that God prompts them to do to speak with them about the wonderful Saviour they know. I want these people to grow to a point where they're reflecting Christ in such a way that people see the hope in them and ask them about their hope so that they can talk about what Jesus has done for them and draw those people closer to them as well. 
I really care about seeing people mature in faith. You know what I couldn't care less about? Couldn't care less how much you've served in a church. Really don't care. Couldn't care less how many years you've been in a church. Because when you stand in glory, there are two questions God is not going to ask. He couldn't care less. What he is going to ask is, how did you serve me? How is your life different to the rest of the world in order that people were drawn to me? How were you salt and light in your communities? He's not going to ask you how many ministries you were involved in. It's just not going to happen. He's more concerned about your heart. And mind you, we have faithful people serving in the church. Praise God for that. We've got faithful people serving ministry roles, but they see that as service unto God. That's what it's all about. It's not about just serving in the church. It's not about being seen as important because you've been here for X amount of years. It's about honouring and glorifying God. God's going to ask you, how did you live for me? How did you use the gifts, talents and abilities that I entrusted to you for my glory? When you stand in his presence, he's going to ask you, did you really live for me when you called me Lord and Saviour or was that in vain? Did your life produce fruit in keeping with repentance, as said in Matthew 3.8? Or was it fruitless? Was it empty? Was it false? Was it worthless? That's what vain means. And our lives should be lives that honour him. If, we, if they don't, we've called ourselves Christians for no reason. It's been in vain because we haven't obeyed him. You know what really scares me? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. There are people sitting with us today who won't be in glory. Scares living daylights. There are people whose hearts are continually hardened to the message of God. They won't be there unless there's a drastic change. And the first point I made this morning is that God is holy. And we need to understand that. It's not about how good or bad I am or how good or bad you are. It's about how holy he is. It doesn't matter if we're a murderer, a gossip, or someone who others really think has got it all together as far as the Christian walk is concerned. Each and every one of us fall way short of his standard. Way short. And there's nothing more terrifying than the wrath of an all-powerful God poured out on me the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain God's word not my word if we fail to honour his name he won't hold us guiltless if we use his name to influence others, as in God told me to do this or God told me to do that, and it's counter to his word, he will not hold you guiltless.
If we use his name thoughtlessly or irreverently, he will not hold us guiltless. If we don't live in obedience to him and all that his word says, he will not hold us guiltless. Let's pray. Thank you for your word this morning. Tough word, Lord. It's challenged me. But Lord, it is your word. And Lord, I I still pray for a softening of heart. I pray, pray people will receive your word. I pray, Lord, people will have that desire to repent, to be put back into right relationship with you and that we will want to live lives that honor and glorify your name. Lord, help us not to take your name in vain. And even now, Lord, as Holy Spirit moves amongst us, I pray you reveal those things that we need to deal with, that we want to start afresh. We want to be people who are seen as your servants. And that hope that we have will be so reflected that people will ask us why. Lord, help us to live more and more for you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for the message, Charlie. Um, 